0: You're listening to an Airwave Media podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. <sighs> Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? <sighs> ah, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumba Chumbacasino.com No purchase necessary Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet And we're going to start off with an Aussie animal the quoll
1: The quoll to celebrate your trip, your marriage and of course Australia one of our favorites
0: What can they teach us?
1: Researchers out of several universities um, in Australia looked into training northern quolls about toad aversion. And I love the title. This is from 2018. It's called, Not Such Silly Sausages.
0: Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris.
1: And I'm Angie.
0: Welcome back, Angie. Welcome to 2023. Happy 2023. <laughs> it's like we've been dying to record, but we took a little bit of break, so I was gone in Australia and just got back recently, and and we're going to start off with an Aussie animal, the quoll.
1: The quoll to celebrate your trip, your marriage, yep. and of course, Australia, one of our favorites.
0: Oh, there's so many animals in Australia. I mean, we still, we're we're making a list, you know, before we got recorded, we're like, okay, you know, here's our list. And there's so many Aussie animals we're going to get to. (laughs) We don't want to make it the Aussie podcast. We love you, Australia. I had an amazing time, but there are some amazing creatures and the coal is one of them, right? A carnivorous marsupial.
1: Yes, Chris. The quoll is this amazing creature that probably a lot of people, unless you're from Australia or that part of the world, have maybe never heard about. And we are going to change that today because it's not only a marsupial, but it's a carnivore, and it's the largest native carnivore in Australia. Right? Well,
0: next next to the Tasman devils.
1: Uh, well, I should I should yeah. I should add obviously marsupial because there are dingoes mm-hmm. in Australia uh, that are of course larger and yeah, but then the have the Tassie devil. But there's the quoll is just fascinating. It's beautiful. There's several species of it which we'll talk about today. And I think most importantly, I didn't realize that the quoll story is one of really dramatic decline. Quolls used to be found all over Australia and pretty abundant. And, you know, but with the colonization by Europeans, and then just, of course, urbanization and a lot of invasive species mm-hmm. that have come that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, all six species are threatened, or in most of them are endangered. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was just this, this past couple of weeks studying the quoll have been really eye opening about the species that I didn't know about, and I, I feel like I, yeah, I a degree in zoology. I feel mm-hmm, like I should mm-hmm. know a lot more than I already do, mm-hmm, and that's why mm-hmm. I love this podcast that we do because I learn so much e- each week. But not only is this an awesome creature, but they're they're in big time trouble and they need our help.
0: Oh, I know it, it, it's they they were persecuted. I mean, when Europeans came, they saw them as a pest. I mean, they they were shot and killed, trapped, and really a lot of them are on the brink of extinction. So their conservation story is important and what Australia is doing in response to that.
1: Yes, and that's why for 2023, the, this story is a f- awesome one to really start with because there is a lot of hope. When I was diving through all the scientific articles, there was a ton out there about Researchers studying how to best conserve and save the quoll. What's working? What's not working? Fenced in versus not for then predator free. And I know you're going to talk about that. Uh so it just gave me a lot of hope because sometimes you and I cover species where there's just not a lot out there right. being, not a lot of conservation being studied right now. And I, I think with the quoll, there's a lot of hope for 2023 and in the future.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, there you know some of the reintroductions. I mean. Right now, they're reintroducing Tassie devils. Uh, some mm-hmm. have been reintroduced just north of Sydney. So there is a lot of good news in this. But it is a lesson in what we need to do um, you know, for a lot of these animals uh, around the world. And we're going to be covering these stories in the coming year. Just quick trip recap. It, Australia, I have not been in a long time. Amazing place. Thank you to our listeners down there down there, across the sea, I say down there, even though I live in New Zealand, uh, across the Tassie Sea, uh, very gracious people. It, I was on the Gold Coast. I went to the Corumbin Wildlife Sanctuary, sent tons of pictures and videos to Angie, even called you outside the Wombat exhibit looking for the Wombat, but they were all in their dens. <laughs>
1: so <laughs> I love it.
0: Yeah, yeah. But even Jesse came over for the wedding, uh, just... Uh, we just had such a great time. I actually went birding with Jesse uh, on the first days I was there. And I, my bird count was over 51. That's great. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I caught, saw 51 birds. And can't wait to go back. Jesse got like 130-something, I think. <laughs> He, he, <laughs> He's he, an expert. He, yes, he went yeah. inland and uh, went birding for a few days. But obviously, I was busy with the wedding, and, and the boys had an amazing time. Uh, saw our friends Chris and Tash there, a whole bunch of our friends in Australia. Chantelle couldn't make it, but she was down in Melbourne. But I will get down to her way at some point, and she can take me and show me all around uh, the wildlife around there. So I will be back to Australia, to all of our other world wide listeners it's a beautiful country I, I highly recommend uh, you go there you go visit uh, I will get Angie and John and her boys over to Australia at some point uh, here in New Zealand too uh, to show her around but thank you for for welcoming us uh, down over there and I can't wait to get back now switching gears real quick it's been a while since we've recorded because i had the wedding we had the holiday season there was a lot going on and we've just gone back into the catalog and released a few of those but i have to give some thanks uh, to some new patreon subscribers real quick klaus thank you taylor lynn And then Nick, for his, I think it was his 14th birthday, uh, he got a present uh, that his family uh, had him join Patreon. So I want to welcome him. He's a a budding conservationist. They love the podcast. Again, a cup of coffee a month. It's helping Angie and I get this out. Uh, We're going to be doing a live here in a couple weeks, so if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can hop on and say hi to us and give us any recommendations for species you want covered and ask us any questions about the podcast, conservation, people we've talked to, spoken with, some of the interviews we're chasing some big names we're chasing this year. So uh, check the, check us out on Patreon or you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook. So thank you.
1: Yes. Thank you to all of our Patreons for your support. And I also want to give a huge shout out to our reviews on iTunes, five-star review and some kind words. It means a lot to us and helps get our pop. Podcast in circulation and and keeps us bumped up pretty high on the top podcasts in science on on Apple. Uh, so uh, L X N I 27 gave us a great five-star review and said that we are epic and educational and that they love the podcast and highly recommend us. So thank you uh, to LNXI27. Uh, I appreciate it. I, I, I love the word epic. So yeah, <laughs> it yeah. was very flattering to call our podcast epic. So, I <laughs> uh, And if you haven't done it already, it just takes a few minutes. Uh, I'd love to have a lot more reviews in 2023 than we did in 2022. So uh, any any kind words you could give would be great.
0: Yeah, it does help with circulation. Like iTunes is still one of the major distributors and we're ranked uh, in the top 40 in science podcasts in the world. And we we're around the top 2,500. We bounce around in, in that ranking out of 4 million podcasts. So, so thank you to all of our listeners. I mean, it just, it means this information is getting out and the stories we're telling really resonate with you. Like the cool.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I also want to give a quick shout out to Orr, who reached out to us over an email. Uh, we talked about hedgehogs, and we talked about the podcast and conservation careers. And I just, I just love uh, having the ability to talk about anything animals and conservation-related and podcast-related uh, one-on-one, uh, either through email or, of course, through our Facebook All Creatures Podcast group but or would like us to cover the swift and i thought that was a great recommendation so hopefully we'll be doing that in the months to come
0: yeah oh yeah yeah There's so many great species we still have to cover now the quoll you mentioned six species four are endemic to australia and then two in new guinea we'll get to that to the ranges but generally they all kind of look similar i mean you get some different color Coat color patterns or coat collars, I guess. The pattern's kind of similar.
1: Yeah, in general, the quoll is darling. And I fell in love this week with the videos and reading about them and the photos. They are an animal, if you're not familiar with, you need to look up on our show notes or on YouTube and check them out because they, it's for me, it's their coat pattern and their nose. Mm -hmm. And so to basically break it down, in general, quolls have this brown fawn to blackish colored fur. They have a long tail and covering their coats are white spots. And I mean, a fair amount of them and they're decent size. So they're basically polka dotted white, which to me is just lovely—a lovely, a lovely contrast. And the other really cool thing with quolls and these white polka dots um, against their brown fur is that it's like unique to the individual. So it acts as a fingerprint for those um, for those researchers and scientists that are trying to identify them. So it's really, really unique. And depending on the species of quoll, uh, they have this darker fur on top, but they also have a little bit of counter shading. So they have going kind to. Of, a lighter tan or yellow or golden color for as well on their like legs and underside. The quoll's head is to me smaller, but a little bit reminiscent in shape of a Tasmanian devil Uh, is as far as it's pretty broad uh, around the, around the forehead and the jowls. And then what's different about the quoll compared to the Tassie is that Its snout comes out longer, uh, almost almost like a a possum, and then the quoll has this darling pink nose, and the nose is almost slightly oversized or cartoonish for the snout that it sits on. And for me, the face of the quoll reminds me a lot, actually, from a creature from the Ice Age that animated series.
0: Oh yes. I just
1: love. They remind. Yeah. Crash and Eddie are opossums that are on our mm-hmm. uh, Ice Age type opossums, but that nose and that face is very similar to a our, our real life quoll, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this pink nose, it just—it's just—it's just wonderful. And the little whiskers stick out. They do have sharp teeth, kind of small, beady eyes, uh, roundish, small ears, and pretty good uh, nails for digging and climbing. We'll talk a lot about that. They're just a good looking marsupial. I mm-hmm, mean, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think, and and once again, I think a lot of it has to do with with the. I'm a I'm a sucker for polka dots, <laughs> <laughs> and well, and that snout and the pink nose, the pink bulbous nose, I just love so much.
0: Oh, they're they, they they are very unique. They do look similar in in say size and shape of the Tatsy devils. Well, size, okay. The tiger quoll is mm-hmm. is similar in size that's the largest species of quoll and they weigh up to 15 pounds or seven kilograms with their tail they can get up to 50 inches long or 1.3 meters so pretty substantial size marsupial
1: yeah i mean and i mean they are besides dingoes they're the largest carnivore in australia which when i mean especially being from north america when i think of like grizzly bears or polar bears or something it's well, not they're, they're, really that big of creature, right? There's dude? one you're
0: missing, and and I did the same thing because I put it in a slide. I was like, okay, largest carnivores in Australia. There's besides one- besides the
1: dingo, besides You'll the dingo,
0: dingo, Yes, uh-huh. the largest land. But there's one also on land. Not I'm not talking about sharks, but another one that inhabits. Oh,
1: crocodiles! Yeah, there you yeah. go. The salties. That's just true. So I mean, I, I yeah. Well, so but we got still, definitely salties. Was, yeah. yeah. Well, I was thinking. Okay, so mammal, um, but. Whether it's uh, placental or marsupial, yeah. I mean, it's still there up go. there.
0: Yeah, no, mm-hmm. dingo. I, I I, did the same thing. I made this whole list. And then I was like, oh, wait, crocodiles. <laughs> they're, yes.
1: They're yeah, there. Yes. They're,
0: they're there, there. in or Australia Oh, are too. they there? <laughs>
1: they're yeah, famously yeah. there.
0: Yeah, yeah. But um, no, yeah. I mean, so-
1: Furry creature, yeah.
0: Yeah, there you go. Mammals. You, you, you corrected me with the, with the mammals. But up to 15 pounds. That's pretty big. Now, the smaller ones, like the New Guinea quoll, is just over a pound or 500 grams. It's up to about a foot long or 30 centimeters their mm-hmm. body length. So yeah, they're 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 a little bit smaller than them. Now, those are two. The other quals, the other one in New Guinea is the bronze quoll. Now, I'll I'll back up a little bit. The tiger quoll is also known as the spotted-tailed quoll, and they're near threatened. The New Guinea quoll is near threatened. Then you have the northern quoll, which is endangered. And that will be an interesting story later in the podcast you want to listen to. Uh, and they're in steep, steep decline. The eastern quoll is endangered. And they're the ones that went extinct on the mainland of Australia. were in Tasmania. But now I think there's some reintroduction going on in, in some of the zoos and conservation organizations uh, in Australia there. And then you have the western quoll. Which is near threatened. Which, when you talk about habitat loss, that covered three quarters of Australia. Now they're limited to the southwestern portion of Australia. Now, like they have lost so much—a tiny
1: pocket, right? Oh, it's yeah, sad. it's really sad. It's well, really and that's sad. similar with the northern. I feel yeah. like I mean Australia is a huge, huge continent. Yeah, and. It's massive. along their northern coast there, I think there's only like six little pockets of Mm -hmm. populations of the northern coal throughout that whole region.
0: It's massive. It's massive. I was on the Gold Coast. It took an hour just to get to Brisbane. And and uh, I couldn't get to the Australia Zoo. I really wanted to, but it was so far away and traffic was horrendous. Because, you know, they've been shut down for three years and everybody in the world wanted to, to go to Australia for Christmas. So it was packed. <laughs> I can't
1: say I blame them. Oh, uh, yeah.
0: my in-laws went to the Australia Zoo. It took them four hours to drive there. I was just like, no thanks. Uh, anyways, off tangent. But I'm glad you brought up the carnivore thing. Because I did look that, you know, Australia has 50 species of carnivorous marsupials with the... Tassie devils being one of the larger ones, Mm -hmm. then the quoll was the next largest as far as marsupials Mm -hmm. because the Tassie tiger, Tasmanian tiger, is extinct Uh, unless they find them somewhere. But still no evidence that that they're alive. So, you know, 100 years ago, uh, went extinct. Quolls are critical, critical to the ecosystem. And reading this stuff about them, their niche that they have is a carnivore. We talked about this in the bandicoot episode. Do you, I don't know if you remember this. What, what animal is the most invasive, having the most damaging impact to Australia's ecosystem? Cats. Well, cats, on quolls, but what's the oh, one okay. overall? It was overall out of all the animals introduced. This the had the. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I had <laughs> the wrong.
0: That, that's, that's it. uh Here. <laughs> Here you go.
1: Oh, oh, I oh oh oh, sorry, it's been a long year. Uh the rabbit. The rabbit, yes, the rabbit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the hand signals. You're right,
0: rabbits. Rabbits are the most destructive invasive species in Australia. It's it, they're competing with all the native wildlife, browsing on native plants. And the quoll is one of the best predators to keep that rabbit population in check, but the quoll population is so low, that's why rabbits are just, you know, going crazy. Or even mice and and rats Mm -hmm. and other things that are damaging. So the quoll
1: is, Australia needs them needs them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and of course to keep those small rodents and just small mammals in check in general, uh, being the third largest carnivore <laughs> on the main yeah. <laughs> on the mainland we include our salties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they also eat carrion as well. And so there's some uh, and we'll talk about that when we get to nutrition, but they they definitely serve a role as nature's cleanup crew. Uh, which is very important for ecosystems and for them to turn around. Uh, So to me, just really visualizing that there aren't these large carnivores over there uh, in general on the, you know, on the mainland going uh, far, far inland. uh, Yeah. I mean that of course the herbivores are just going to go out of control. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah. And I just, uh, the other part of the conservation story that I guess really impacted me this week with the quills, uh, is just reading and really understanding uh, Australia and their um, extinction of s- so many species of animals. Uh, in fact, in the last 250 years, Australia has experienced more mammal extinctions than any other place on earth. So 29 or greater than 10% of Australia's 273 endemic terrestrial mammals species have been lost basically since European colonization. So, I mean, that's, uh, really disturbing. And of course I'm not singling out Australia because it's happened. <laughs> it happens everywhere where Europeans go and urbanization and industrialization industrialization and all of that. Uh, but, It was to me. It was just really striking um, as far as just keeping an eye on the species that we have, and especially these species that are endangered. And of course, as Chris already mentioned, a lot of that has to do with these darn invasive species, Mm -hmm. which is happening in my neck of the woods of Florida as well. I mean, our Florida everglades are being gobbled up by Burmese pythons and other things that don't belong here. And you know, Burmese pythons are near threatened or endangered where they're from yeah. naturally. And so we just, the battle with invasive species is just a real, a really, really tough, tough one. And obviously the, the qualls have paid the price.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like here in New Zealand, like it, stoats, weasels, uh, you know, all those introduced mammals having a field day on our native wildlife. And then also in Australia. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a global issue too. what, The issue I was going to kind of start the year out with, because it really is putting a fire under me, is I ran across this this article uh, before I left in in the holidays, so I emailed it to myself, and I said, okay, next time I record, I'm going to make sure I bring this up, and it fits perfectly with the cool story. And the title was, and this was the popular press talking about the scientific article, but... It, the, the headline was children born today will see literally thousands of animals disappear in their lifetime as global food webs collapse. And this is what you and I have been talking about for four or five, going on five years now. And it was Corey Bradshaw uh, who authored it. And it was a study that they had, th- they're t- talking about the study that they just recently published call, called called Coexecology. Co-extinctions dominate future vertebrate losses from climate and land use changes. To just talk about really quickly what they did, because Angie and I always talk about these food webs. You know, we were just talking about the, the with the quolls and other species from the microbes all the way up to the birds in the sky. They're very complex, and it's not just okay. What happened when the Tasmanian tiger went extinct, which was a top predator? How did that affect other species in that food web, right? So what these researchers did is they used a a supercomputer uh, out of Europe and they had built all these interconnected food web networks. And then they applied some scenarios of what we're projecting with climate change, land use, degradation, deforestation, things that are going on in the Amazon, Australia, uh, other parts of the planet. And so they had over 15,000 complex food webs. And then they ran the supercomputer to get the statistics on predictions. That's what, that's where we are now with some of this. uh, And I'm speaking way out of my depths, artificial (laughs) intelligence. It's pretty
1: advanced. I love it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I might not
1: understand it, but I love it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I go, okay. You know, and then obviously when you do a study like this, you have uh, the computer. Scientists
1: modeling, yeah, yes. My good friend Taylor does horse nutrition, but she does like the modeling of it, which,
0: yeah, you get those experts in, yeah, Mm -hmm. get those experts in when you do these studies. So, the overall data shows that around 10% of land animals are projected to disappear by 2050 and 30% by 2100. So, what they're saying is children born today, when they're in their 70s, will literally witness thousands of animals disappearing in their lifetime. Mm. And you're talking all the amphibians we talk about, the different snakes and birds and elephants, koalas, all of these animals, if we continue to do what we're doing, uh, they will go extinct. Now, they're talking...
1: something. Chris, this is not the 2023 hopeful message <laughs> no. I had started with. What no, we it's,
0: it's an eye-opening. We need to keep working harder. That's why I said it lit a fire under me. Because there's this term co-extinction, and I think that's something you and I need to start looking at. And they use an example of the critically endangered mountain pygmy possum mm-hmm. is going extinct because it's losing its primary prey. The uh, It's the bogong moth so mm-hmm. the moth has has seriously declined because of habitat loss and droughts fires all these things that they've experienced so a co-extinction is this possum that's going extinct because it can't find its prey right right so that was eye-opening to me again I've, I, we've told this story but they do say you know if we can reduce global carbon emissions that is the big one Mm-hmm. Right, so I, I I think we're far beyond debate of climate change. There's still deniers out there. They're getting less and less and less. Their voices are are being shouted down by science. Nope, nope.
1: Well, nope. that and if they've like lived through this past summer or this past <laughs> rainy season or, or this or past winter, drought. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. or winter mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah yeah i mean it's it's the their voices are getting weaker and weaker and weaker where 20 years ago it was oh it was a debate well there's no debate you know it, it, it's it's the debate's over it's real time
1: baby it's, it's happening real time mm-hmm.
0: so what are we going to do about it and the people are standing up people that listen to this podcast people around the world and we're seeing policy changes you know, what else you can do? You can support support conservation, conservation initiatives. If you listen to our interviews, a lot of the conservation that is very successful today that we're finding out is local. Mm-hmm. It's, it's getting the people local. So if you su- support local conservation initiatives, as well as if you want to support, you know, global. But if you support your backyard animals, animals in your area, you do your part. Everybody lists this podcast, whatever country you're in, you do your part, save species that are in your part of the world, you know, that's going to make a big difference, you know, and you can share this podcast, share stories you see in social media, engage in meaningful con- conversations with people.
1: Engage and share in ideas of how to reduce your carbon footprint. Yeah. You can join us on our mission during Plastic Free July to learn more about how to reduce our footprint. So, yeah, there's a lot that you can do without having to be out in the field collecting data on quals, although yeah. that'd be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and for our listeners that do that, thank you. You know, right. we got, we got a lot of listeners that are involved in conservation or looking at careers in conservation. So, mm-hmm. so thank you for that. But it, it, it does light a fire. It, we'll, of course, we'll be telling the good stories like the cool, there's some good stories in here, um, but we still need to keep working hard. That's it.
1: Absolutely, Chris. I agree. And uh, that's what 2023 is for. Now, I have a very interesting study. It's going
0: to be very quick, but I found it. I was like, oh, Angie's going to love this. Uh, but before we do get into that, jumping into evolution, let's take a quick break. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire,
1: huh?
0: Oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. <laughs> Chumba. that's right. chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumba casino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. All right. So evolution's it's interesting. Marsupials are always interesting. I mean, these so are mammals. Yeah. yeah. I just, I've always amazed the Antarctica. There's so many marsupial bones in Antarctica we need to go find because a lot of them
1: lived there when it was warm. Yeah. Well, whenever we cover a marsupial, I'm always so blown away by uh, how ancient they are. Mm-hmm. 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 The Very. wall evolved around 15 million years ago. Yeah. Hasn't changed much at all. At no, all. No. And that's all. why I love their look. Kind of reminds me of the Ice Age creatures mm-hmm. on the cartoon and- there's just, it's just so fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah, they are. They are. Marsupials are amazing. But again, these are mammals. So mm-hmm. in the infraclass marsupialia, there's 334 species. 70- well, we've got
1: our work cut out for us then.
0: Yes. We have yeah. plenty to cover. I mean, 70% live in Australia and then like New Guinea and around there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: 30% live in South America. So I think we need to go look at some marsupials over there.
1: I think so, for yeah, sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then Central America, 13 species, and then only are only one species in North America, okay. which is our Virginia opossum, you know, which But we covered. not in Africa. Nope. 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 We covered that in episode 169. Now, quolls it, they are in dazeromorphia. These are the carnivorous marsupials, that's the order. So, not only the quolls, the Tassie tigers that, that are extinct, the Tassie devils, Dunerts, Numbats, the family is Dazeridae, 71 species, the genus is Dazerus, and then we had the six species that we've already mentioned. Four in Australia, two in New Guinea.
1: Which they all diverged four million years ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why I love... Marsupials are just uh, crazy interesting because what I love is is that they they did not evolve in Australia like you think they would have. They, they evolved in the Americas way I back in North
1: America. Yeah, in
0: Pangaea. <laughs> mm-hmm. So 225 million years ago when you had the very earliest earliest mammals evolving, you know, surviving the dinosaurs, surviving the mass extinctions. That, you know, as the continents broke up, the marsupials kind of were in South America, Antarctica, then to Australia. And that's why I said in Antarctica, I'm sure there's tons of fossils, but it's nobody can get down there and study them mm-hmm, in, in mm-hmm. that intense environment. Um, because Antarctica about 35 million years ago, while it finally was was becoming covered in ice and marsupials couldn't survive there. But no placental mammals made that trip from, you know, the the Americas, Antarctica into Australia. The dingoes, if we go back to that episode a long time ago, they came, which we thought- Which was for
1: Pip, I believe. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we did that
0: like over Mm -hmm. a year ago. They came over with humans, right? We talked about that. Where did they come from? Or from the New Guinea dog, right? Down. Right. Mm -hmm. I remember that whole discussion. So that's a placental mammal. The marsupials had gotten stuck on this raft of Australia. And that's where they evolved for for millions and millions of years. And like you said, the qualls first came out 15 million years ago. They all diverged about 4 million years ago. Looking at the big picture, their closest ancestor are the Tasmanian devils. Then the dunarts. What about the
1: whambinger?
0: The whambinger. <laughs> which
1: was that? I know. I just learned about. it. We got to cover it.
0: <laughs> okay. Where is, yeah. Is that? Is it that says a... it.
1: It says in that diosomorphia family that there's the thylacine, which of course is extinct, uh, the noombat, and then the dunarts, and then the whambingers, and okay. the falls. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> I learned
0: everything every day. Uh, oh, the, yeah. They're amazing. They're amazing, amazing creatures. And then just just pulling out a little bit more that group of carnivorous marsupials, uh, they're cl- more closely related to bandicoots, which we just covered. Then pulling them out more, you know, then it gets down to the koalas, wombats, possums, kangaroos, uh, into all the marsupials. And then you have way off in the family tree of marsupials are Virginia opossums. So I love this family; they're very fun. So
1: fun, like all of them. Now, noom bats, Arts. I know they're fun. Now, the
0: interesting study I found, Angie, because it, and uh, if you have young ones, this gets into a little bit of reproductive terminology. Uh, we always keep it scientific, and I'll use broad terms, but you can advance the the podcast if you want. Just as a warning, but it, it brought me back to my roots of some of the research we did at Florida. And I was looking at the phylogenetic relationships within Mm QUALS based on molecular evidence and male characteristics. Mm -hmm. So what this study did is looked at male reproductive anatomy, Mm -hmm. right? So you had the penis and accessory organs, Mm -hmm. and then they also looked at it with the DNA evidence and they're trying to find the phylogenetic or the evolutionary relationships between all the species of quals. And what got me excited about is that's basically what, what Danielle and I, and even Jonathan, uh, Dr. Cowart was doing with the manatees, elephants and rock hyricks. And we were looking at sperm cells mm-hmm. and looking at the specific comparison between those three species. Cause they're all closely related. If, if that's the first time you heard that, go back and listen to our elephant or manatee episode rock hyrex in the future, but we were looking at the the characteristics of the sperm cells to make evolutionary relationships, right? So that's what they did with the quolls, but looking at the male anatomy specifically. So I thought it was really, really interesting. And when you break down the six species, the eastern quoll, northern quoll, and then the bronze quoll that's in New Guinea are all very closely related. So not a lot of evolutionary difference between the three. Then you have the tiger quoll and the New Guinea quoll are a little bit in that group. And then it it just comes out of nowhere the northern quoll is the most outlier of all six species, which is in northern Queensland, northern Queensland but northern Australia. It makes to me it doesn't make sense. I I don't know how it worked. Because the New Guinea ones are more closely related to some of the Australia ones than this northern qual in Australia. But that's science, and that's what the study showed.
1: Well, Chris, that's really interesting. And and, and, they, I, and just to double check, they this research was only looking at male reproductive anatomy, not the sperm, just the, the just, external Yeah. So, the,
0: so, like the northern qual was missing some accessory sex glands that mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. other ones had? So, they're looking at that plus DNA, plus the DNA.
1: Well, to add to that, uh, on the female end for the northern quoll, they're very unique compared to the other five species of quolls. And to jump ahead a little bit for reproduction, the northern quoll lacks a true pouch. Yeah, yeah. So, she has, the female northern quoll has a fake pouch, uh, and it's basically just a little fold of skin on her stomach uh, that will emerge after a successful breeding, but it's not the traditional marsupial pouch that you think of when you think of a kangaroo or mm. an opossum or the other five species of quolls. And so, they must be fur- definitely further away if if they if the males have these different accessory glands and also the females lack a true pouch so very interesting yeah just that but why the, that is it doesn't yeah well I when mean, you have is, the is yeah, is the terrain that much different there or is it a well, cli- is the climate a lot different well that i wouldn't think compared to new guinea i mean
0: when you look at the northern well right. qual- i mean mm-hmm. uh, again I, I apologize i'm not an expert on the whole biome of Australia, say compared to the United well, States.
1: Well, you should be down. <laughs> but you do have Life rain- goals, Chris. Yeah, Life well, goals.
0: A lot of rainforests, a lot of tropical um weather, maybe some desert, I don't know. But when you think of some overlap with the Tiger quoll, even the yeah, maybe not the eastern. The eastern's more New South Wales and Victoria, which is the the southeastern portion. Or the Western Quall, this one just must have out of that ancestor four million years ago. Either that's the remnant of the ancestor, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you know, that's just they evolved on their own. Anyways, it's fascinating. Again, I always go back to Richard Dawkins talking to one of the the world's foremost experts in evolution, and we did that. Yeah, I know. Uh, yes, pitch myself still about that one. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. I just that's why I love evolution. It just it it's just a, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And the qual story is no exception. Anyways, moving on. Some facts. Not a ton on physiology. We've already talked to some of it. The, the male anatomy, the female anatomy. Very short lives. Yes. You know, two years is... on some. Five years on others, maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. Males almost after breeding. I know. I so... read that.
0: I was like, what the mm-hmm. heck? <laughs> we at get there with the repro. Uh, so it's tough out there for them. Uh, you know, and uh, but they're not slow, they run up to 15 miles per hour or 24 kilometers per hour. And then I think the one fact that really got me was they have one of the most powerful bites in relation to body size out of any animal in the
1: world. Chris, when I read this a couple of days ago, it blew me out of the water because, as I described, the quoll, uh, especially the tiger or the spotted quoll, is darling, not that big, and you, I, you'd I, you almost want to reach out and pet one, even though you're not supposed to pet wildlife, and I know that, mm-hmm. so don't do that. Uh, but this cute little pink nose, and then you read that it has second most powerful bite <laughs> for its body size yeah. for any living mammalian carnivore. hmm and I was, I mean, what? I know. Like, well, right? and what? The ta-
0: yeah, and the Tassie Devil was one, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then, of course, uh, the Tasmanian Devil was number one, which for some reason, probably because of a Tassie Devil's reputation, that doesn't seem, that's not so surprising for me. But I was reading that a Tasmanian Devil, just to recap, its bite force quotient is nearly three times greater than a cat, your domestic cat, twice that of a fox or a black bear and 3 times bigger than a tiger or a wolf. That's crazy. Right? Like a tiger. A tiger. A tiger. A tiger. Yeah. yeah. But I uh, will say um in the article that I found just to fact check all of this it did say that of course your Tasmanian tiger that's now extinct uh I like, I guess there's questions out there still but we'll leave that one up to the experts. Yeah. Uh that um it uh that that actually was number 1. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm
1: from what researchers can tell.
0: Yeah. I know. And we, 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 joke about the Tassie tiger and, and it's, it's, it hasn't been seen in a hundred years or in, in the 1930s. It's just Australia. Like Angie says, so massive. And the population of Australia is about to, a little bit under 26 million. And I think all of them were in the gold coast when I was there. So like there's a lot of <laughs> people.
1: Yeah. yeah i so
0: packed. and so busy, but it, you know, a lot of them live on the coast and new South Wales and then down in the Melbourne area. So in the Western portions of Australia, it's very sparse, not many people out there. So there is a chance of maybe some of these species surviving somehow. Like we go back to the black footed ferret declared it extinct. And then we find the population 20 years later. And about so 12, mm-hmm. 12 years later. Yeah. Or 12 animals, right? 12 so, animals, yeah. Yeah, so there's a possibility of that. Anyways, that would be really cool if we, if we did find them surviving yeah. somewhere.
1: But other fun physiological facts about the quoll is that, once again, for such a cute darling animal with a crazy bite force, uh, they also have really sharp claws on their feet which help them climb uh, and dig on the ground and even hold objects. So they come in really handy. And although the quolls are typically terrestrial and found on the ground, uh, they can definitely scurry up a tree to escape from a predator when they feel threatened. Uh, And so they are known to be decent climbers and they're known to be good swimmers too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. A lot of different talents.
0: Yeah. They like to go in those dens and, Mm -hmm. you know, so looking for rabbits and things, they might eat some insects. Uh, They do climb trees to catch birds, do eat some amphibians like frogs. Uh, so very diet, but a, a scavenger, kind of like going back to that tazzy devil.
1: Yeah, well, mm. a, a, a generalist and opportunistic mm. carnivore. They'll if it's meat, they'll pretty much eat it. Right, they're mm-hmm. not picky. Uh, but I, I thought it was really fascinating to read that besides snakes and birds, uh, platypus, possums, mm-hmm. yeah. small wallabies, and wombats. <laughs> I know insects. Rabbits, as you mentioned, so that's really important. Uh you know, they're they're not messing around, that's for sure. And and then one article I was reading uh, was saying that some qualls will even climb trees really high to prey on sleeping birds. Mm. So and nests and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah that, I didn't see I didn't see for it.
0: bats, but it just brought me up because I I did send you pictures from... Uh, you a... saw
1: a lot of bats. I that did. Cool. I did.
0: I did. We saw different species of uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: fruit bats and saw them flying at night. Uh, the boys were really Fun. excited to see that. So much wildlife in Australia. It's just it's such a great country. Um, but the, the, the quolls, they do face a lot of threats, especially the younger ones. Dingoes, eagles, owls, uh, snakes or like pythons can get them. But really what's been devastating to him is the foxes and cats, right? Like those are the...
1: Yes. I was reading all about the feral cats, which I know you're very familiar with in New Zealand. Uh, But it's just, it's a competitive, voracious predator. And it's been in Australia pretty much for the past 200 years or so. Uh, And it occupies 98% of the landmass. And the feral cats have been identified as one of the primary drivers of extinction for a lot of these native Australian mammals that have been lost since uh, colonialization. So it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, and uh, they're just pretty devastating, uh, just the population of small mammals.
0: Yeah, and, and like here, you're right. Birds. I mean, and birds, birds are, of course. Birds are a big one yeah.
1: Out. So it's yeah. it's a, it's a huge problem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll have to tackle
0: def- that in a future episode because it's yeah,
1: I would, yeah, it's yeah, tough because we love it our cats. Is. We love them. No, I love our kitty course. cats. Yeah. A bear, bear, like yeah. she's she's you know, um, although I don't I don't see her taking doing any damage to her. <laughs> Taking a call. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. 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 She takes a nap. That's pretty yeah, much yeah, what yeah, she yeah. does. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it'd be awesome to have maybe an expert too from some of these either cat baiting or mm-hmm. um, you know, somebody that really understands the dynamics of the fair cat problem mm-hmm. and That's what it's pro- doing to our native wildlife.
0: Yeah, big problem here. Big problem here. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I know...
0: Before we got started, I asked you about some of the behavior and you said not a ton, right? Nocturnal, but what, what is there? What do we know?
1: Well, all six species of quolls are primarily nocturnal and they're going to spend most of the day sleeping in their den and they are ground dwelling, And so the quoll is going to create its den in rock crevices, underground burrows, fallen logs, uh, tree hollows. And in the case of the northern qual, they may even turn an old termite mound into a den. And so hanging out, sleeping in their den during the day, and then in the evening is when they go out and they hunt. And they travel pretty far, several kilometers each night uh, searching for food. Uh, Chris and I mentioned a lot of the different foods that they eat as an opportunistic carnivore, lizards. Insects, birds, rabbits, platypus, really, what a carrion, whatever they bump into, uh, a, a dead body. I actually read oh. this interesting article. I think but it's, you sent it to I, me. I <laughs> did. I did. Uh, it was late at night. I was getting a little slap happy. Mm. But an Australian journalist put together a report of all of the instances of quolls reporting, uh, being reported of uh, chewing on human flesh. From a body that was found for whatever reason. And all the, and there were several incidents. I mean, if more than you can count on one or two hands, but they were all from like the late 1800s, early 1900s. So I have to wonder too about the accuracy of them, but. With that being said, I mean, we all know that if you die in your house, your domestic cat will end up eating you, right? Like your mm-hmm. dog will lay on you until somebody comes <laughs> yeah. and they'll starve to death being sad where well, your cat's like, eh, all right, I'll take that finger. So <laughs> it's not shocking no. that, that a, a marsupial carnivore that's opportunistic and eats carrion would, you know, if it stumbled across a dead body, it might eat it. Uh, so Anyways, that was kind of a funny report that I found, <laughs> but it's not something you don't have to worry about. Like, you're, humans are not threatened by quolls by any, no, uh, no, by any stretch no, of your imagination. No, so, no. but I did want to mention uh, one of the ways, uh, a couple of ways in which the quolls hunt. And in general, for prey that's moving and alive and uh, non carrion uh, prey, they will hunt it by stalking. So, depending on the size of the prey, a quoll will hunt a little bit differently. If it's smaller preys like birds and lizards and things like that, they are going to pin the prey down with their front feet and just go ahead and start eating it. And if the prey is larger, like wombat or platypus or something like that, uh, they'll actually jump on the prey and then uh, go for the neck and, uh, and kill that way. So Different tactics uh, for different types of prey make them, in my opinion, really, really flexible creatures, which also tells me since they're a generalist and they will eat anything that moves, any type of meat, moving or not moving, whatever. uh, They're not a specialist, right? Specialists are some of these carnivores that will only prefer one type of meat or an herbivore that specializes in a certain type of plant like a panda that only eats bamboo something like that this is specialist generalist i feel typically have a chance to do better with habitat loss climate change things like that because they are able to be less picky right they're not picky eaters so that gives me hope for the coals and some of the uh, reintroduction projects that are going on and some of the predator-proof fencing and just all these conservation organizations that are working to fight for them. Because knowing that they have all these different hunting skill sets and that they have uh, a really big menu as far mm-hmm, as what they'll mm-hmm, eat, it mm-hmm. does give me hope for, uh, for them rebounding perhaps quicker than other species that were more picky or more, more uh, specialists uh, would. And then I should also mention too that uh, quolls can obtain most of their water they need from their food. So it does make them also pretty adaptable during droughts and periods of when there's not a lot of water around, which is potentially going to be very helpful in the future as well. Well, and you talk
0: about them rebounding and we, we talked about, so just sticking that nugget in the listener's ear, short lifespans. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so reproduction reproductive strategy how do you maintain a population how do you build a population so is there is there is there some light there at the end of the tunnel for them as far as when
1: it comes to reproductive strategies well yeah chris i think in general uh quals have a pretty successful mating strategy so the males are going to be um promiscuous uh, polygonandrous which means both males and females have multiple mates and they aren't picky and they will um, breed with each other quite well. And depending on what region of Australia they live in, they typically breed during the winter season more or less. And uh, they reach sexual maturity at about a year. And so within a year they can start reproducing and then rearing their young. As you mentioned earlier, most males typically don't live past one breeding season, but they can sometimes make it up to two. Uh, and but because they are breeding as many females as possible, they're doing a great job passing on their genetics. And what's fascinating, Chris, is um, is the females. It's super interesting. They uh, when they once once male and female meet and they do breed. A female quoll's uh, gestation period is 21 to 25 days. Depending on the species, a female quoll will give birth to up to 30 pups at a time, but she can only raise six to seven of them uh, to adulthood because of the the number of teats she has. Right. So, in marsupial reproduction. They're uh the pups are born very underdeveloped. Like I always describe them when I used to give kangaroo talks at the zoo where I worked at. We had red kangaroos. Uh, like when they're born, they're very underdeveloped, and they have a marsupials have a, they I almost they look like jelly beans, almost like little round pink nothingness. I mean, little arm nubs. They're blind. They don't have developed eyes, and they're able to cr- crawl from the vagina up into the um, pouch folds to find the teats and how they do that. I, it blows my mind when you talk about just, just, uh, instinct and physiology. I mean, they're, they're, they barely have little nuggets of underdeveloped everything and they are able to get to a teat when there's only six to seven, to eight teats. Uh, it's, it's a battle. And, um, and then the mother quoll will assist and consume (laughs) the non-winners. I saw that. (laughs) It's the amazing race. Mm She, uh, she will eat any type of meat. Right. Mm. Uh, so, um, the ones that, you know, of course don't make it are, would die anyways. So they're good, a good source of protein, I suppose for her, uh, so, I just, that's an interesting twist on physiology that they have that many offspring and then yet yeah, they only, you know, they can only. Six
0: n- make it. Uh, six to yeah, seven, they can yeah. only
1: nurse that, that many. And so, mm-hmm. but for those pups that are underdeveloped and successful and latch onto a teat, uh, they will start to outgrow their mom's pouch at about nine weeks. And from there on, the quolls are left in the den while the female will go out and find food. And so typically depending on the species, but in general, young quals become more independent and ready to leave the den around five months old. And for most species of quals, uh, sexual maturity is reached at about 11 months old. So it's a pretty quick generation interval. Um, And yeah, so for me, because of that, there is a lot of hope. Assuming that the numbers are big enough and the po- and the population pockets aren't far far away from each other enough that they can find each other, right? Uh, I feel if they find each other and they breed, they're typically pretty successful.
0: Mm-hmm. Which I think, like we didn't get to touch upon it. Um- some of the social interactions so like communication they scream in like tazzy devils is that, are they, are they that
1: nothing do screams like a tazzy devil or growls or whatever uh, uh, that noise is when they're mm-hmm. eating uh eating car um right mm-hmm. uh But in general, the quolls aren't a a super vocal creature because they are solitary except for when they come together for breeding and, of course, the mother and the pups. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yes, uh, as far as vocalizations go, like, for instance, a northern quoll will communicate with one another through a hissing sound. So that's somewhat like the tassie. And another example of vocalization in quolls is the mother and her offspring. Uh, She'll actually use, like, a clucking noise to her offspring – and they'll respond. And when they are in defense and running up a tree, they will not only like maintain a defensive position, but they'll also growl and make high pitched screeching noises. So that's somewhat like a Tassie as well. And the hope of that is to look scary and big and loud and annoying to scare off uh, any predators that might be bothering them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And even though the, Quolls might live several kilometers away from each other and, and then their dens may be far apart. It's really fascinating. Uh, some quolls, depending on the species, they use what are known as communal latrines. So it'll be a certain area uh, where they uh, defecate um, on top of each other's defecation piles. It's like who can, who can be the last one to, to poop. And, it's somewhat to mark territory, but it's also somewhat of a social function in that uh, you can use pheromones to smell what's happening with, with your neighbor. So you can figure out if the female might be an estrus or if the males may be bigger or tougher than you. And so they really, I'm, they, they I'm have this
0: flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Flashbacks to a species that didn't we didn't we have one that did this that they are very very slow the
1: sloth yeah they only didn't come they? Da- they only come down like once a week or something to
0: yeah it doesn't them that long
1: to get there yeah but was yeah. it
0: didn't they have a communal latrine like that I think like the males I think I remember you saying that yeah that's that's very interesting yeah that's that's. Interesting strategy on, on how to yeah, date. In the whole, right. Whole world. Well,
1: I mean, it's like you're social, but you don't have to really be that social. It's it's mm-hmm. almost like texting, right? Like you don't have to actually talk to the person <laughs> or hang out with them, but you still have this like kinda you know what's going on with their life. And so mm-hmm, perhaps mm-hmm. the the cool latrine is like that where they can uh, still learn a little bit about what's going on in their neighborhood without actually hanging out together.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it is, it is interesting, yeah.
1: And then lastly, Chris, I just want to point out this awesome study that I found in austral ecology about quoll intelligence. So you mentioned earlier, we talked about earlier in the podcast about these invasive species, the cane toad being one of them, which is very toxic uh, to the quoll if they happen to consume it or uh, lick it or anything. And researchers out of several universities um, in Australia looked into training northern quolls about toad aversion. And I love the title. This is from 2018. It's called Not Such Silly Sausages. Evidence suggests northern quolls exhibit aversion to toads after training with toad sausages. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. And so this is some of the work that researchers are diving into to pull out all the stops to help save the endangered quoll. And if they can figure out how to train these coals to avoid, to avoid cane toads, which they, they did not evolve version to because cane toads are not supposed to be in mm-hmm. Northern Australia. Um, then hopefully, uh, that they can, they can learn to stay away from and live a longer life and reproduce.
0: But yeah. Cane toads are, it was in the conservation I was going to talk about. They were introduced in 1935 from the Americas and they thought it would help control pests but instead it's poisoning and killing predators like the quolls and it's it's a, like you said in the northern quolls it's it's one of the major reasons for their rapid decline so that's that's good that they're working on strategies to, to keep them away from them
1: so yeah just a big shout out to the researchers and conservationists that are coming up with these Tactics and and using an animals' intelligence and um, taste aversion and stuff like that to to help train them because the paper was saying after being exposed one time to this uh, toad sausage that uh, didn't taste very well uh, that they stayed away from Good. Uh, Good. Uh, 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 toad carrion. So
0: it is because the northern quoll is endangered. It actually, out of the population numbers we have they have the most with 80,000, but they are going through a very serious decline in the cane toads. One of the reasons. So it, it's heartening to, to see that they're, they're looking at strategies uh, to teach them to stay away from them. Then when you look at the, the tiger quoll uh, endangered, only about 14,000 left, the Western 10,000 left, Eastern, about 10,000 left in Tasmania and the bronze quoll, in New Guinea, there's about 10,000. And they're like in, a, in the southern portion of New Guinea. The New Guinea quolls, more of the, the northern portion, they, we don't have any data, but they're near threatened. So the the eastern, the northern, and the, the spotted-tailed or tiger are the three that are endangered. And then the other three are near threatened, meaning they're entering that endangered status. So, you know... The good news is Australia is doing a lot.
1: Uh, there's a
0: lot of good videos, a lot of good organizations, right?
1: A lot of good research on how to um, how to conserve quills and how to also reintroduce them uh, to the mainland and what works and what's not working. Do they go with the predator-proof fencing? How do mm-hmm. do they not? If so, what are the pros? What are the cons? I mean, I was really pleasantly surprised and very hopeful uh, digging through uh, some of the conservation peer review published papers and seeing that there was a fair amount out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Australia is working on, you know, reducing habitat destruction. Obviously, the fires a couple of years ago were really devastating to a lot of species. And like you said, the foxes, cats, all of those are major threats, but they're aware of it and they're fighting for them. I'm sure there was a ton of organizations. I mean, there's a lot of good work going on in Australia. Uh, Which one did you want to highlight this week?
1: This week, I chose bushheritage.org.au. And um, I just love the work that Bush Heritage is doing, not only to protect quolls, but several species in Australia. And what Bush Heritage Australia is, it's a nonprofit that buys and manages land for conservation and works in partnership with Aboriginal people and the agriculture sector to protect irreplaceable landscapes and uh, conserve these native species for forever. And when it comes to the coals, uh, Bush Heritage is doing a lot to protect all four species on several different reserves um, and also uh, partnership properties and uh, different uh, stakeholders. So they're working very hard to keep land there for them so that they can remain free and in the wild. And because coals are nocturnal, which is one of the reasons why we're still learning a lot about them, uh, they have actually uh, introduced using a sniffer dog, a coal sniffer dog that will help uh, help the researchers confirm the presence of coals and uh, their distribution in certain reserves throughout Australia. So these are trained border collies and they – and they are able to sniff out evidence that quolls have been in the area, which helps them with their counts and also learning more about how they're uh, using the different uh, habitats. And Chris, if you remember, we, uh, we talked a lot about sniffer dogs um, for bush dogs in, in uh, South America and Argentina and Chile. So really progressive and awesome toolkit for these endangered species. Yeah, especially nocturnal ones, I can Mm -hmm. imagine. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, Bush Heritage, of course, is not only trying to conserve the land for the species, but they're also doing a lot of fire management practices to help uh, prevent prevent and reduce forest fires. So, yeah, I mean, really great stuff. So check out www.bushheritage.org.au. And of course, we'll put their uh, website on our show notes.
0: Yep, for sure. Uh, love the stuff they're doing. Uh, all the the conservation work going on in Australia. Thank you for for preserving your animals. Yeah, I mean there.
1: Yeah, I wasn't able to mention them all. All the zoos yeah. do great work there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it was all hands on deck, which was very uh, very hopeful for me in twenty twenty three.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was near Lone Pine. I remember you brought them up in our koala episode. I oh, one thing I forgot to tell people: if you're still listening, thank you for listening. And I'll bring this up in, a, in another podcast, but I did send pictures to Angie to the golf course that had bull sharks on it. So I did go he out of my did. way to drive there. You did. In the lake, there are no bull sharks <sighs> now. There hasn't been in, in quite a while. But the the guy, the, the golf shop pro. Did took me around a little bit and he said, oh yeah, anytime there's a massive storm and it floods the golf course, they find massive bull sharks on the course all the time. I'm like, oh my God. So it was the Carbrook Golf Club in Queensland, Australia. I did go and see you. So uh, we'll talk about that. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Final tip, spay and neuter your cats and your dogs, but spay and neuter your cats wherever you're all in the world. Uh, your native wildlife will thank us you know even if indoors they do get outdoors sometimes so please do that but good start to 2023 Angie I know we released koalas last week because I was in Australia our first recording of 2023 we've got a good slate coming up some good interviews already on the books more coming this year thank you for your support thank you for listening and thank you for caring
1: thank you everyone
0: listen learn share join the movement at allcreaturespod.com